1: Welcome to Yolitics the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics.
0: You already started drinking man I did. So uh, welcome back guys we are on the uh, we're on a road trip. We, for, th- for this episode. It's been a while.
2: It has been too long.
0: But anytime we can spend the Yolitics budget, I'm all up for it. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a budget uh, or are we just spending it and hoping? We, we beg and plead. Can we go here? Can we go there? So we fueled up the old Yalotix mobile and we drove to East Texas. Is that what we're calling that thing? I, that thing needs to, if it breaks down somewhere on the on the drive back, yes. I'm, I'm going to leave it there and may set it on fire.
2: Well, it's, it, the, the truck that we drove here in is what makes me question whether we actually have a budget. Uh, and I'll tell you, we, we discussed this on the way here. I used to drive bread trucks for a living, and uh, I think I prefer those at this point to that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, right, and so we're out on the on the square in, in Mount Pleasant. You can hear the helicopter coming in behind us. That's I wouldn't a, have
2: thought we would have had a lot of helicopter action here.
0: I, I didn't expect that one either, but you know what I didn't expect? Mount Pleasant is nice. So Mount Pleasant... Well, Pleasant's in the title. It's in the name. It's And they, they've lived up to the name as well. Mount Pleasant is between Dallas and Texarkana, a little mm-hmm. closer to Texarkana, deep in East Texas, Northeast Texas. And the square, where we are right now, is, is happening all, all the um, all the businesses I'm looking out here on the, from this patio the businesses are all all uh, you know crowded, busy, there's a lot of traffic out here? It's
2: because this is the spot. It's the center. I mean, you're you're two hours to the slight northeast of dallas Fort Worth. You've got uh, within, I think, 60 miles we were told, you can get to Oklahoma, Arkansas, or Louisiana from here. It's wow. unlike a lot of parts of Texas in that you don't have to drive for hours and hours and hours to
0: leave Texas. T- to get somewhere. So, uh, Brandon Rodriguez is the general manager and executive chef and invited us over to Nar- uh, Nardello's Pizza Tavern, right? on the square in mount pleasant and uh, i'm having a um, this is a what happened to the beer list here man?
2: she took it, it she, you're having the uh, the uh, blonde
0: yeah this is a uh, well it's a beer i mean don't say i'm having the blonde this is i'm, I'm having a beer jason <laughs> this is uh, the blonde ale the the bright star blonde ale oh, and and this is from um who is this from this is Backstory Brewery, yeah, in Sulphur Springs. Backstory Brewery, and you're already, uh, so, you're, you're about to get your second pint here. You're like burning through this here, man. You're so excited. We're on the road. What are you drinking?
2: Unlike Whitley, I am not having the blonde. Uh, I am having uh, the, I think it's called the Martzel. Martson. Martson. Uh, and as soon as, I mean, because we both sat down and we said, well, since we're in East Texas, we should have an East Texas beer. And we weren't real familiar with, what is it, Backstory Brewing. Backstory Brewery. And uh, so we just kind of split it down the middle. I said, I'll take the, the Martson and you can take, you you can have the blonde, it- Jason. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 when she sat them down immediately, as I often do, I thought, it? God, I ordered the wrong one. Really? Yeah. One. I usually like a a lighter.
0: Wow, that's East Texas, my friend. That right there is, uh, that sounds almost as bad as the truck we came here in. That's an an F-250 diesel right there, probably burning through the square uh, Um, here in Mount Pleasant. So, yeah,
2: I I think I just, you know, I prefer a a lighter, more refreshing beer. Uh, But this is good.
0: It's good. I'm don't get me wrong. Judging by how you're pounding that beer, I mean, <laughs> I would I would think that you probably enjoy it here. Is that truck leaving? I think they're doing circles here. They found out Yaletix is in town and they're they're, they're coming to see us. You know, which is interesting, by the way,
2: because we set this up uh, to come out here and, you know, we thought, you know, okay, it's two hours, two hours. And well, but you you drove us here. Uh, It was really like an hour and a half. Surprising we made it. I'm surprised you make fun of my driving. My God, it was white knuckle. (laughs) You were nervous. I could tell a few times. And it wasn't just because of the truck. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, you know, when we were on our way out here, we called ahead. And we said to this guy, hey, you know, we're real interested in the story that you have to tell out there. Uh, We're this podcast. It's called Dialytics. And here's kind of what we do. And he goes, oh, no, no, I know.
0: I listen. I'm a regular listener. And we're like, really? Wow. And Mount Pleasant. Mount Pleasant. That's awesome, man. I'm stoked about that. I'm excited about that. But we came out here for a a serious story. This is, uh, you know, COVID has impacted all of us, but it's kind of receding in the urban areas right. in, in texas and, and you know nationwide too that's not the case out in the rural areas like mount pleasant where we are here well they're just now on the starting to
2: recede because it's a, there's a lag time you know the cities you know go through it and then you get out into these rural areas and about two three weeks later they start to see the trends that we saw in the cities so they might just be entering now that phase of finally things are cooling off just a bit but boy have they been through it out this way and there is a big difference between covid in urban and covid in rural and you know what, that difference is probably only going to become bigger as we go forward because we're seeing such a divergence in the vaccination rates between rural and co- and, and urban.
0: And, and that, that's kind of the bottom line for this here. It seems like the, the, the rural areas just have not been vaccinated. That's what the numbers show. Mm-hmm. They have not been vaccinated enough uh, or as much as the urban areas. And that that's created a real strain on the on the hospitals and what i didn't understand about this going into it was that the hospitals rely on each other wherever they are so the hospitals in rural parts of texas rely on the hospitals in dallas and houston austin san Antonio. Mm-hmm. if they get overwhelmed in the rural areas these you know they have smaller hospitals fewer beds and if they get overwhelmed there, they're really hoping that Austin or San Antonio or Dallas can take some of these people. Did you say San Antonio? I said San Antonio. But look, while, while we're talking about our uh, our linguistics here, you know how he says rural? He says rural. How do you say it? R- rural, rural, <laughs> rural.
2: You come on, man. Come Thank on. You. This Ooh, looks awesome. Pizzas just arrived. This is uh, nice. I got the Islander.
0: We might have to cut the podcast off right here. This might be it's it. It's got a pesto
2: ring around it. Wow. Jalapenos. Fancy. Uh, and pineapples? Yes, I do like pineapples on pizza.
0: I, I Now, see, I feel like that I got the wrong pizza. I didn't get the, <laughs> the jalapenos on I'm there. I'm
2: glad you have the envy now. Uh, but you can have a slice of mine. So, you know, yeah, I do say rural because I try to say it out, you know, like... Uh,
0: yeah. My, my wife makes fun of me for saying Grand Prairie. Prairie. <laughs> I, I I say prairie differently. But anyways, so our boss is probably sending us emails right now saying... Speed it up. Get to it. Come on, guys. Get to it. I don't want to hear all this stuff about how you talk.
2: Okay, so, so here's the thing. Yes, I did know that these hospitals work together because it just so happens that I used to be an ambulance dispatcher. Dude. Okay? You're like, and you're
0: like the Renaissance man. You drove a bread truck? You were an ambulance dispatcher? I had no choice.
2: My mom was an ambulance director. She was the director of ah. a... Uh, volunteer ambulance service in harris county many moons ago and as a teenager i was an ambulance dispatcher and there was a thing called mutual aid so in the middle of the night when our ambulances were out and i am awake at you know two o'clock in the morning dispatching ambulances i had to look at maps old style maps not computer maps and decide who is the closest agency near that and give them a call and say can you do a mutual aid for us wow so that's wow. what hospitals around this state have been doing. And it's gotten real tight for a lot of these rural hospitals because they haven't been able to send as many patients to the cities because the cities were all stacked up. Well, things are getting a little bit better now. Uh, but boy, have they been through it here and they're preparing to possibly, you know, go through it again. They don't know if they'll be in that fifth wave, but we got flu season coming and uh, they are bracing for it. And so uh, we called up uh, a guy by the name of Terry Scoggin here in uh, uh Mount Pleasant. Pleasant. He is the CEO of the Titus Regional Medical Center, and uh, he's our Yolitics listener, thank
0: goodness, because (laughs) uh, we wanted to get his perspective on what's going on out here. So let's just get to it, because he he set us up in uh, in one of the ambulance bays. This is something we've never done before. So uh, let's get down the road a few blocks away from the square here and go talk to Terry. So this is the first for us. I don't think we've ever done a podcast. Inside a bay. Uh, yeah, an ambulance bay. An, an ambulance at a bay, bay, a, hospital a garage at a hospital. And, and the ambulance just took off. It did. That, so that, uh, that's uh, that's kind of you know, painting the scene for you. So you now see? we're just
2: left in a bay. Uh, but it'll be <laughs> back at some point here. Uh, and we've got Terry Scoggin here with us, who is the CEO of the Titus Regional Medical Center. Uh, Terry, thank you for fitting us in, first of all, because I know that life has been a little busy here for you.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Welcome to Titus. Welcome to uh, our health system. Welcome to our community. Welcome to Northeast Texas. And, we're glad you're here.
0: But before we dive into COVID and the, uh, you know what you guys did here. Walk us through Mount Pleasant. What's this place sure. known for? Because it's in between Dallas and Texarkana, on Interstate Thirty, a little closer to Texarkana. What's Mount Pleasant known for? What's this area known for? Well, we're 60 miles from Oklahoma,
1: Arkansas, and Louisiana. So we're right here mm-hmm. on Interstate 30 in the corner. Um, we are probably the tra- trailer capital of the world is what you know us for. So we have Prefort Manufacturing here, Big Tech's Trailers here, hmm. Pilgrim's Pride is here. So oh, one of yeah. the largest uh, chicken processing plants. We have everything you need, Well, everything but a target.
0: So a lot of the, <laughs> <laughs> but everything but a target. Where, where do you go for your target, Texarkana?
1: Well, we go to Texarkana and Rockwall from those from there. So I go to Whole Foods in Dallas when I get a chance. Uh, oh, my But goodness. we've got Everything else here, we got good barbecue. We even have sushi now here in wow, Mount Pleasant. Wow! Okay, so wow. the
2: Target's got to follow. The at Target's got to be
1: here sometime. Uh, so,
2: if, for people who are listening across Texas, you may have never have even heard of or been to Mount Pleasant, but chances are you've had some chicken from here.
1: You've had some chicken from here, and mm-hmm. the key here is we have a Dairy Queen. So, in Texas, that means we're a real
0: city and we're a real town.
2: <laughs> that, that's how you get on the that's map. That's how in you Texas. get on the
0: map in Texas. The red <laughs> stop sign. Let's talk about the reason we we uh, we, we made the drive over here, and, and that is the, uh, the the fight you guys have been struggling. With for the past what 18, 20 months or so, uh, with COVID, tell us where we are today because in so many of the big cities across Texas, it seems like things are receding. The virus is receding. It's getting it's getting better. That's not necessarily the case in a lot of smaller towns, though.
1: And that's true. And we're about we've run about two weeks behind the metroplex for the last 16, 18 months. This is our fourth surge. Good news is nobody around us had one, so Dallas helped us. Tyler helped us. Texarkana helped us, and it was good. Uh, July was our second surge. When you say helped
0: us, what do you mean helped us? You know,
1: took transfers. They would take transfers for us. Those patients that are higher acuity, we were able to transfer them out that time. So if we've got somebody in here, the one thing about COVID that's just been unbelievable is how quick it happens, Mm -hmm. and I can't predict who it is. You don't know each individual how they're going to react to COVID. Mm -hmm. There's so many underlying conditions, Um, but we were able to get those higher acuity, acuity patients out. July was our second one. Uh, November was the third surge and then most recently our fourth surge that started in uh, August and September and it was our worst surge. It wasn't as many patients but because we could not transfer out and the Delta variant was so um, it just transferred to everybody and the viral load was so bad on that one that we got patients really sick and they would come in here and get sick really quick. We, we had our most mortality. We, see, we saw 26 deaths in the month of September in this hospital we've never seen that in the history of 70 years of this hospital 70 Uh, years 70 years we've never seen that many deaths in this hospital which takes a toll on the doctors and the nurses the cleaning staff
2: I was gonna ask you because you were talking about this you know the the small town feel that's what brought you here in the first place you know the community here which you know is great but then it's a double-edged sword when you're you're losing people because you know these people. These are people you've you know been around and lived with and and been friends with.
1: Everybody you know was impacted in some way. Um, we heard stories of our friends and former employees that were here crying in our ICU because they knew it was could be the end for them. And and during COVID, you were by yourself a lot. So our team members and nurses had to step up and and be that person next to their side. But. We're the last independent hospital in Northeast Texas. Mm. Everybody else is part of a larger health system. By being that independent hospital, we were able to make decisions on our own. And our doctors came up to the table in in March, like you talked about, and said, what can we do to help? We created huddles, we created meetings, they created protocols. They became experts um, mm. in COVID mm. and how to treat it.
0: Terry, people listening to this might say, well, I, I know the Delta variant was bad, but..." What in the world happened here for it to be so deadly? The vaccine's been out for 10 months. Is the vaccine still uh, that much of an issue in the rural areas?
1: Well, it, it is. In Northeast Texas, the vaccine is an issue. and We've run into that. I mean, we're sitting right now um, with only a 53% first dose vaccination rate. Now, we've had a lot of people who had it. So there's a lot of people who think they're untouchable because they've had COVID. Um, but 53% is way below the state average of 73% first dose. Mm. Northeast Texas is only at 49%. Um, so it has been slow to get the vaccine now some of that is unfortunately um, we were slow to get the vaccine when it came out in Jan- in december your rural communities were last to get it and we fought for it and eventually the state was able to get it to us and and, and we've been pushing it ever since then but it's been a slow process uh, to get that vaccine to everybody
0: those vaccine numbers are low do you think those will ever get kicked up to at least the state average or even surpass that or even get close to where the cities are
1: I don't, I don't think they'll ever get close to the cities I think the differences in rural and urban um, will make it, but I think we can get them closer. And that's kind of where we're changing our mentality now. You know, COVID wasn't the reason that people died. Uh, and that's the reason you asked about why was it so worse. It wasn't because of COVID. It was so worse here because of the underlying conditions in rural communities. We have a higher heart disease rate, higher diabetes rate, higher obesity rate, um, higher smoking rate. All the things that make your underlying health worse. That's rural America, unfortunately. Plus, and,
2: and, people don't seek medical care the same way that they do in a city. They
1: may be further away from it. They may not have the resources, et cetera. All of those. And you're 100% right. Some choose not to, and, and some just choose not to because we're hard-headed, and I'm, I'm a guy, and mm. I've I've had to learn over the last 10 years and be in health care to take better care of myself. And I still, I've got to get healthier. Um, but but you're right. We have a, the highest uninsured rate in Northeast Texas is Titus County. We mm. have 31% adult uninsu- uninsured, wow. 13% children uninsured when the state average is 10. So those are the numbers, and we're, we're getting a little better with some things going on but i mean those are some of the barriers now even the ones who have insurance though they choose not to go it some of it's transportation some of it they live a little, little further out and some of it is you know i've got other stuff i need to get done i've got i've got work this is a very blue collar part of texas and and you know uh we're all the hard-working people here and um so
0: you said you were the last hospital the uh, independent hospital in, in northeast texas um, I, I would think that's really a burden for, for you and your staff in a sense, too. There's a sense of pride that goes along with that. But walk us through some of the things that you guys did. You, you mentioned COVID huddles earlier. Uh, I read your essay and you were talking about uh, your ambulance teams going to people's houses when the hospital was full here. I mean, it seems like it was I know it was all hands on deck everywhere, but it seems a little different here. Because in the big cities in Houston, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas... The ambulances aren't going to someone's homes to check on people like they were here. Well, it, it was all hands on deck, and
1: everybody wore many hats. So everybody stepped up. No matter what level they were, everybody helped out. And since we're independent, we were, the state gave us a lot of money in the federal government. We got some stimulus, and we used that stimulus to put remdesivir, Regeneron, BAM, all those medicines. We put it back into the community. Hmm. Uh, we Monaco put it back in the
0: hospitals.
2: You know,
1: our Dr. Thurman and the uh, Dr. Downey and our team really um, got on the Regeneron early so before the governor got his Regeneron and it became cool we were already doing infusions here in the hospital and we moved that infusion center all over the hospital at our highest, we did 25. When my wife got COVID, uh, we uh, she got Regeneron, and we were in, and it helped. My Boy, mother got it. Yeah, your wife well, got COVID. My, my wife got COVID. My mom's got COVID. My dad had COVID. My dad passed away in August, not of COVID, just Sorry. of natural things. But during this process, he got COVID.
2: With that fourth surge, which is what we just went through, uh, you didn't have the availability anymore of being able to ship people out of here, let's say to Dallas, Fort Worth, because all those beds were full.
1: All those beds were full, and, and so we couldn't send them anywhere. Um, didn't that Feel alone Maybe, out here? Really alone. And now, to the credit, I will tell you this: uh, we were we were never alone. I think the state has done as good a job as they can, and and they've worked hard. and And when we've needed something, and uh, when that push came to shove, you just had to make the phone calls, and they became aware. They've helped us, even though we were alone and we weren't able to transfer. We were never alone. I think everybody's pitched in, and healthcare has really come together in a way that I didn't think we possibly could. We were competitors, hmm. but at the same time, we've been working together. And the last one you talked about a minute ago is this last surge, we had no more beds in the hospital. Um, and we had to send people home that probably needed it. But they were, they were good enough to go home, and we sent EMS out there every day. We did a televisit in their houses, hmm. uh, Jimmy and his team from EMS would go visit them, do the paperwork, uh, do their vitals. And, Mm. you know, it'll be interesting to see the results of him going out there, they actually recovered quicker at home than they did in the hospital. Huh. So, Because I think, you know, you're in your own bed. Yep. You have your own TV. Nobody's waking you up in the middle of the night. That's from amazing. So it'll be interesting to see. Kathy and the team are going to do a study of it. it just, But it was some interesting facts. Does but a it, new
2: model come out of that, maybe? Yeah. Well, well,
1: I think it has. And, and there's been a lot more virtual care from home. And we're, we're behind that. I know Ochsner uh, in New Orleans is doing some things. And that mm-hmm. hospital-at-home
0: model is the future. I mm-hmm. believe
1: you're 100% right.
0: Terry, to get beyond this, though, to prevent a fifth surge, you need more people vaccinated. And and that, that's something I think that you said and you've written that you've struggled with. There's just that hesitancy in, in rural areas across the country, especially right here in Texas, though, and in Titus County to do that. And I read the the essay and and you that you wrote, and you mentioned that This even came up. Science even came up in your Bible study group. Well, I don't think you ever
1: changed minds. I think we've given some other things to consider, and I think they've made up their minds. I think some of them have based on things that happened to them personally or friends. When you see a family member um, close to you, well, I've had friends who've, wives who've gotten pregnant during this process, and as soon as their wives got pregnant, They were the first ones to get in line for the vaccine the next day to make sure they were
0: protecting their wife and unborn child. Do you expect a fifth surge? And secondly, what are you you preparing for for this winter? Because the last 18 months have ravaged rural Texas, it sounds like.
1: Well, what we're preparing for is, uh, you know, the flu season is going to be a tough one. We believe that one. Mm -hmm. We believe the RSV, um, the respiratory disease is going to be tough. We're seeing a lot of people with um, a lot of uh, lingering effects because of COVID. Lung damage, um, just breathing and heart damage because of COVID. We think a lot of people have pushed off a lot of procedures because of COVID as well. May not have taken care of their heart disease. Mm. So we believe there's gonna be a surge in those, in acuity in the fourth surge. So we're trying to focus on getting our ICU prepared uh, for having uh, more patients and higher acuity patients than we've this had This coming before. winter? Coming this winter. That's what we're preparing for. Really? Try and get some different equipment and get um, um, some different things to make sure we have enough um, ventilators, to make sure we have enough staff and our staff is train for that higher level of acuity. But Terry, you used to be a Dell guy when you were living in Austin, and that had to be high
2: stress, and then you got out of that rat race that we talked about at the very beginning, and uh, it sounds like you've
1: probably never worked harder. Never worked harder in my life. I've never I've never been blessed more to work in a career in my life, but I've never worked harder in my life, and and I think anybody who works in healthcare would understand that. You know, we talked about rule earlier and being independent. Well, I worry every day about our ability to pay bills. That that didn't change. You know, nobody from the East Coast is investing in rural communities Mm. uh, for stock purchases and stuff. So we're fighting every day for every penny that we get from the federal government, from the state government. Again, we're trying to pay our bills. Um, The cost of nursing continues to go up with staffing shortages. So, you know, if we're not worried about COVID, we're worried about the ability to pay our bills. Terry, what do you want city folks to know? I want to know it's personal. You know, it's different in a rural community. You know everyone who, who's getting sick. You know everybody getting their lives saved as well. Um, but but you're not having um, a lesser level of care. You um, hear comments all the time, well, it's happening because you don't have the quality of doctors. It's not the case. You have a lot of doctors now who want to get out of your, the rat race you described. So we have a lot of doctors who've moved from California, from Dallas, from all over to come here because you're on the front line. This is the front line. People in rural America shouldn't have lesser health care because they choose to live in a different demographic.
2: My, my last question, Jason asked, you know, what, what would you like city folk to know? You can't talk to everybody out here. Uh, you know, there's going to be some people who are pretty remote out in the sticks. What would you like? The country folk to know what would you like the the, the message to get out to rural Texans right our Podcast
0: now? is big out in the fields. Huh? You never know. <laughs> you never know who's going to be listening. Well,
1: especially this time of year when they're doing hay and things like that. Uh, I want the rural people to understand one thing: get vaccinated. That's the that's the only thing that I really want to push. The um, healthcare has been strained, and our nurses and our doctors, and even just healthcare in general, has been strained. One thing that you can do is to get vaccinated. I, I trust the people who have created the vaccine. I've the physicians who've researched it, but the, a vaccination is gonna mitigate it. It's not gonna get rid of it. You're still gonna get COVID and you may actually because of your underlying conditions pass away even though you're vaccinated. However, um, it's gonna give you the ability to fight COVID better than not having the vaccine. And what people also have to understand is everybody's different. There may be a young person who's not obese, who's never spoke, no heart conditions. If they choose not to get vaccinated, That's different than a person who may be overweight, who smoked with respiratory issues. It's the underlying conditions. um, And why take that risk? Um, Why risk the lives of your parents or your grandparents or others? Take the vaccine um, and let's move on. Um, It's we're fighting that battle
0: constantly. Yeah, we've had to live this way for a long time. We, 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 We will. Terry, there's a nursing shortage nationwide. Is that impacting you guys out here? I'll be in a meeting at 5
1: o'clock tonight about the nursing shortage. I'll be in a meeting at 7 o'clock in the morning about the nursing shortage. It's affecting hmm. us tremendously. I, I gave my nurses a significant increase in pay. It's going to cost us $1.4 million a year in the last few months to ensure we keep them here. Um, but we're battling the staffing agencies, battling that. Um, and I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned that... Um, we're creating our own issues here in Texas, and we have going to have to figure out a way to, to do it. We've got some great nurses, and I don't want to lose them.
0: Well, we hear the ambulance coming now. We'll let you wrap up. Thanks so much for having us uh, over to Mount Pleasant. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's enlightening, Terry. Thank you. Thank you, guys.
2: All right, so uh, that, that seemed like a natural ending when the ambulance was coming. There to uh, to wrap things up, but uh, what a perspective! What you know, incredible things they've been through in this local hospital. But you know what? You multiply that all over Texas; it's the same thing uh, that they've been through in
0: all of those. And it is. And think think about what some of the things he just he just mentioned there just a moment ago. They have what four ambulances for this Mount Pleasant for Titus County, Texas, Mm -hmm. northeast Texas. They've got a part two of them because they simply don't have the staff. Mm. He has 200 nurses at Titus Regional Medical Center. He's short 65. He could fill another 65. And he's given
2: a lot of them big raises. But, you know, it's hard to hang on to him these days because nurses are so in demand that, you know, they can almost name their price in some places. It,
0: exactly. And I was asking him a little more about, you know, why some of this labor shortage is really being exacerbated here. He said the people can go make the same amount of money and have a lot less stress. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine not just what these folks have done here in Titus County, but but the medical staff at hospitals all across the state, mm-hmm. all across the country, or the world for that matter. Stress to the bone on this thing, and these, and these ambulance drivers and these paramedics have been have been working like this. Yeah, it's just I, and I, I get it,
2: man. St- stack on top of that, though, what he's talking about, especially in these rural areas. Oh not only are you understaffed and you're stretched and you're going through these horrible stressful days and you're seeing these awful things happening to people but you know these people yeah. you know them personally yeah. think of the toll that that has taken so uh we're going to take a quick break right here though um and uh, we'll be right back
0: Can't tell. We're back. We <laughs> is are. Is that back. that same truck? No, that's a that's a that's a Chevy. It's Another a souped-up Chevy running through town. The other was like an F three fifty diesel, I think, that was coming through. I think the word's gotten out that Yolotix is in town, so people so. are they're, they're circling us. Yeah, they're, they're circling us. you that, or they just want to see me stuffing my face with this Islander pizza. It's is amazing, dude. You're pounding beer and pizza, man. Take it easy. <laughs> Take it easy here. What are you doing? We're going to check you in the hospital hmm. here. <laughs> So, the the situation in Mount Pleasant is, it was dire. They've kind of gotten beyond that, and and they're really, you know, hoping and praying there's not a fifth wave. But this is a microcosm of what's happening across the state. So, we we got on the line here with us, uh, John Henderson. He's with the Texas Organization of Rural and Community Hospitals. And and John can really give us a a big, you know, 30,000-foot view of how Mount Pleasant isn't alone in this.
2: We've been through this latest Delta variant wave, and we keep on hearing that we it looks like we're starting to emerge from it. It looks like we're starting to maybe start to come out of it. Uh, What is the scene, though, among the rural communities and the rural hospitals? Is that the case right now, or is there going to be a lag time?
3: I mean, we, we aren't in a good spot, but we're headed the right direction. And things are easing up for the rural community hospitals in Texas as well. Mm-hmm.
0: John, one of the startling statistics is that the rural death rate from COVID is two times higher than the urban death rate than, than the Texans in the cities. Is that because of fewer vaccinations in the rural areas or is there something else at play here?
3: Well, it's, it's probably multifactorial, but that vaccination rate is the driving factor. And it breaks my heart, Jason. It really does. You know, you've also got comorbidities around, you know, health and wellness and diabetes, uh, insurance coverage and all those things uh, play in. But more than anything else, it's the uh, unvaccinated rural Texans that simply have worse outcomes when they do get COVID than than those obviously that have had the vaccine.
2: John, one of the other big differences, of course, is how rural hospitals are set up. And for us city folk, uh, I think that we tend to assume when we hear a hospital that's out in a rural area, we we tend to think it's just a smaller version of the one that we go to. Tell us a little bit about the rural hospital network in Texas. It's more than 100 hospitals, almost 200, isn't it? And it's it's set up differently. You You may get to an area where there's not an ICU anywhere nearby
3: rural is not just a small version of urban the state definition of rural in texas is county population of sixty thousand or less and by that criteria there are currently 157 rural texas hospitals but more than half of those don't deliver babies uh, more than half of those don't do surgery and most like 75 80 percent don't have an icu bed so they're they're small All their limited services, they all have an ER so that they can treat, you know, uh, strokes and heart attacks. But when it comes to acute, high level uh, illness or injury, uh, most just aren't equipped to handle that.
2: And to take that one step further real quickly, it used to be common that with these really critical patients, you could always uh, send them off to one of the urban areas nearby to get into their ICU. But when all of those have been stacked up as we've been going through these surges, that
3: hasn't been there. At times, three different times during the pandemic, there has been absolutely no ICU bed capacity in Texas. And so our members who found themselves you know, stretched and unable to transfer were required to deliver ICU level care in a situation where they might have only had one ventilator or two ventilators. Um, it, it was really tough circumstances uh, several times, the most recent being in September.
0: John, there there is some good news. It's it sounds like on paper at least, but I want to gauge you on this as well too. The legislature just allocated how to spend the sixteen billion dollars in federal relief money that uh, uh, Congress just allocated and President Biden signed. Uh, Two billion dollars, two billion dollars is going for the COVID nineteen nursing surge. I'm curious if you can tell us what that is. But then separately, hundreds of millions they didn't give us an exact figure, but hundreds of millions of dollars is going to new hospitals and mental health services across Texas. How much of the piece of the pie is is rural uh, health going to get out of that?
3: Specifically, for sure, we're gonna get $75 million, which is great. Uh, That's about a half million dollars per rural hospital in Texas. Hmm. But we also participate in that 2 billion that you referenced, which is the state provided nurse staffing. Every hospital in the state has had trouble uh, staffing their facilities with the nursing care in particular that they needed and so the state has actually been sending nurses to hospitals in texas well,
0: explain what 75 million dollars means for these 157 hospitals across the state it's i think split to five uh, half what half million dollars per hospital how much yeah. i mean w- what will that buy them that they don't already have
3: well i can still get my head around seven around millions jason i'm not sure that i understand billions. In uh, and, and rural hospitals, we say we can make a meal out of crumbs. So half a million dollars to each of these hospitals is a big deal. Some of them literally think pay cycle to pay cycle surviving. And this gives them breathing room to be able to meet that local need. And it's, it, it, it's half a million dollars is not a lot of money in Houston. It, it's a lot of money in you know Van Horn.
2: Throughout this process, I mean, this has been a long pandemic here, John. Um, Have you been talking with the state? Have you been talking with the federal government? and, And how good have they been in responding?
3: Yes to both, probably more at the state level with state elected officials, but also with the federal government. And the fact of the matter, we tell people that rural Texas hospitals limped into the pandemic. There were 70 of them that had Less than 30 days operating cash on hand when this thing started. And so, the simple fact of the matter is, if it had not been for federal stimulus in 2020 and now some state funding in 2021, there are rural hospitals that survived that just wouldn't have made it otherwise. So,
2: have you all lost hospitals that went limping
3: in? Not. The last rural hospital closure in Texas was in January of 2020 in Bowie, Texas. Hmm. Um, but we haven't had one knock on wood for the last twenty months or so. Uh, hmm. Part of that, Texas had led every state. Twenty six rural Texas hospital closures in twenty two communities since two thousand ten. That was more than any other state.
0: Why are the why are the finances so uh, so so tight at these rural hospitals? I mean, thirty days cash on hand is that, that's pretty concerning. I mean, that is paycheck to paycheck, like you're talking about. What, what's going
3: on? The biggest reason is simply demographics, you know, we've got an older population which is Medicare, we've got a poor population which is Medicaid and then you have unfunded so in a in an urban environment, especially a suburban environment, you have more commercially insured patients, which are frankly more profitable patients, but you know, some of our communities have 60-75% Medicare and Medicaid and and you just you're doing good if you break even on those and we've been subject to, you know, Medicare cuts through sequestration at the federal level and Medicaid cuts at the state level. So it just makes it a really hard operational environment
2: the ad council i mean this is something that's happening happening nationally the ad council just came out with this plan to produce seven different stories basically that they're hoping to put out there that it's psas public service announcements that they're hoping to put out there in front of rural communities and they feature rural people real people and it's interesting that out of the seven that they're doing nationwide Two of them uh, feature Texans. Is that going to help for people in rural Texas to hear from rural Texans who say, I got the vaccine and here's why, and you should too?
3: It will probably be incremental improvement, um, but I'll tell you what I know won't work is someone from Austin or Washington, D.C. telling a rural population that they need to get the shot. I worry that we're approaching the point where we've done about as much of that as we can do and convinced everybody that's. Uh, able to be convinced and unfortunately what it might take is friends and family getting sick and not making it which we're starting to see in rural communities and I hate it. Anecdotally there's a there's a rural hospital in central Texas that has actually started vaccinating secretly um, people that who are publicly very anti-vax and what they've been telling them is We can keep a secret and and it's related to people in that community that, that got sick and passed away. Um, but, but it's a weird dynamic when you're having to tell people to come in the back door of the clinic to get their shot and then, and then still publicly, uh, speaking out against it It, it,
2: but that's where we are isn't it i mean in in a lot of communities and 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 with that example there in central texas when they started offering that have they been pretty busy have a lot of people been taking them up on that
3: well you know it's it's probably not overwhelming numbers in urban terms but in but that's the way they're moving the needle in rural communities and my advice to them frankly has been Whatever it takes. I mean, we aren't trying to win a pride war. We're trying to we're trying to keep people safe. What,
0: what town is this? Mm-hmm. What, what city? Uh, we, we, hey, John, <laughs> we can keep a secret too, man. What, what town is this? <laughs> <laughs> it,
3: it came from a friend of mine in Clifton, in Texas. Clifton, okay. Good old Witcher. I'm not sure that I have his permission to share that's that, fun. and I'm not. I'm not trying to out anyone, but that's where. Can it,
0: can, we, can we say Clifton, or do we need to cut that out of the program?
3: Uh, you can. It's it's west of Waco if you okay. don't know where
0: Okay. All right. Uh, John, I want to ask
2: you this. Uh, we, we talked about how the surge started in rural Texas before we really saw it in the rest of uh, urban and suburban Texas, and you all have been through four waves now. Uh, What are your concerns going forward when we talk about this kind of vaccine, not hesitancy vaccine resistance in rural areas? What are your concerns going forward? This might just continue to tumble forward like this with wave after wave as we see it disappear a little bit more in those more urban areas.
3: Yeah, you know, early on, we we were under the false perception that some rural communities because they're isolated or you could social distance might be able to avoid this. And what we've learned is if you've got a highway or a diner or a truck stop, you know, it the virus will find you. And the only way for us to work our way out of this that I've seen so far is, well, two ways, vaccination or community by getting sick. And, and there's one of those that to me is the easy path and one that is just a really hard path. And so I worry that we're going to get there one way or another. I, I would prefer it's the vaccine rather than, you know, continued stress on the healthcare system, continued sickness and death in these rural pockets of the state where we just aren't where we need to be with regard to vaccine.
0: John, is there any one specific pocket of the state that you're really concerned about? Uh, east, West, North, South, Central, that, that uh, is, is exhibiting issues or, or things you can't get over?
3: So generally speaking, the, the very best vaccination rates in the state are in the border communities. And so I don't worry as much about, about them, urban and rural, where we do see uh, vaccine hesitancy and problems are in deep East Texas. Um, and in West Texas up into the Panhandle. They just aren't anywhere near where they need to be. Hmm.
2: John, I know that you have overseen this from sort of the the 10,000 foot view, uh, looking at all of the rural hospitals around Texas, but you've done so through the lens of a guy who used to be the CEO of one of these hospitals in Childress for many years. And I'm just curious, listening to all of the different stories that you've probably collected from these places across the state over these many, many months and actually years now, has that been emotional for you?
3: Yes. Um, and, and I have current CEOs that tell me, you know, well, you know what it's like. And I say, no I, no, I don't. I had bad days. I had, you know, disasters, but I never went through anything like this for 18 months. Uh, So it's emotional for me because I see the toll it takes on them and those frontline healthcare workers and nurses. I see the mortality. You know, a rural hospital might lose half a dozen patients in any given month. Well, they're seeing three and four times that um, in the last couple of months. And that's hard on people.
0: Here we are. I don't want to say we're on the back end of this because the rural hospitals clearly aren't but uh, two years into it, what are the lessons learned for rural hospitals to, to hopefully be able to get in front of this next time? Are there any lessons learned yet?
3: There's some silver linings actually around the value of access to healthcare locally instead of these hospital closures. Uh, we've We've got some silver linings as it comes to telehealth and telemedicine. That's been a game changer. But then the other thing that I take away from this frankly is that we're better together and for rural hospitals to survive, they can't be isolated on an island in far west Texas, they're going to have to collaborate regionally when it comes to, you know, supply chain and services, but also probably things around trying to staff their emergency room, things of that nature. So we're going to, we're going to come out of this. All right. And, and we'll hold on to the good stuff and try to be better.
2: I'm hearing out of that that it's a problem that we're all facing and that uh, we all have to solve together. Uh, John Henderson, the president and CEO of Torch, the Texas organization of rural and community hospitals. Uh, Thanks for taking the time and sharing the perspective with us, John. We don't often uh, hear enough about what's going on in rural Texas.
3: Hey, I enjoyed the visit and I appreciate y'all telling our stories.
0: And that, that is encouraging to hear him say that because you have to have that attitude going into it. What, what I didn't know going into this podcast was that all hospitals are not the same. And the, the financial struggle on top of what these hospitals are going through out in rural parts of Texas, yeah that's unbelievable. You hope, though, that there's a lot
2: of lessons learned here uh, going forward and that maybe that makes it easier the next time, God forbid, you know, we we go through some widespread things like this. Um, It just seems like those relationships have really been built, you know.
0: Right. And the federal money is really going to help out, too. Uh, You know, our first guest in this episode. Um, was Terry Scoggin from Mount Pleasant here was talking about the federal money that they've gotten and how they can spread that million dollars out.
2: There's been a lot of fights over the funding, over approving, uh, over approving funding. I mean, yeah. let's look at the fights that we've seen in, in Washington over these last you know couple of years. It's gotten partisan in some cases. But I'll tell you what, that federal funding is like oil uh, that goes into those gears. Yep. And whether it be for, you know, uh, extended you know benefits uh, for unemployment in the very beginning when we had millions and millions of people losing their jobs or food benefits, that sort of thing or hospitals uh, who were struggling as it was even before this happened,
0: yeah. um, a lot of these places would not have made it. Yeah, the, the, this the COVID exacerbated the, 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 the dire situation yep. that some of these rural hospitals have. The federal money will help. There's more money coming from the uh, the ARPA money, the uh, American Rescue Plan uh, Act money that the state legislature just, just dispersed a moment ago, a moment ago, a few weeks ago. Uh, so th- that's something to look forward to here. I think the concern that these guys really have right now, as it's cooling off, as we're having a beer out here on the the patio in in downtown Mount Pleasant, what is the winter hold? What will the winter bring?
2: Well, that's why everybody we talk to says... Vaccination, vaccination, vaccination. Yeah. That is the number one thing that they are focused on, because when you get out, especially in these rural areas, the numbers are just abysmal in a lot of cases. Yeah. And you know, we, you know, we talk about vaccine hesitancy. It's it's gone from that to vaccine resistance. You and, know, and it's and it's
0: it's tough to convince people. It was interesting to hear John Henderson and Terry Scoggin both mention that some people are getting the vaccine quietly, Lately. quietly. They they want to be protected. They don't want anyone to know. And everyone's just fine with that.
2: I will tell you right now that in my life, I know people. I haven't confirmed it. I haven't asked them. But I know people who are in that category who will talk terrible about vaccines all day. But I know that they've gotten it. And, you know. Yeah. Everybody, I guess, has to navigate this their own way.
0: No doubt. Well, we've had a, a Camaro pull up here in the curbside parking at Nardello's in uh, Mount Pleasant, so we probably ought to let you go. Uh, either that, they pull up the curbside parking or they want Wheeler's autograph. I feel like we're, like we're at a car show almost. <laughs> I'm going to go start up our beast and blow them all away. Yeah, it, was, it was scare <laughs> them all away, man. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, as always, let us know what you think. You can hit me up at Jason Whiteley or you can hit Jason Wheeler up at Jason Wheeler TV. And uh, reminder, I should have mentioned this early on. We have a phone number. We have a hotline. And we'd love to hear from you. 214-977-6020. 214-977-6020. We'll see you. Thanks, as always, for
2: listening. We'll do it all again next week.